G'day there guys, welcome back to the Blowing Cartridges podcast. I am one of your uh, lovely co-hosts, Zach, and as always joined by my co-optional partner, Brendan. Brendan, how are you going? Yeah, going well, Zach, recovering from a bit of a flu. Unfortunately, I had the smart decision of moving from winter in Australia to winter in the UK, so uh, getting double whammied by flu seasons in 2022, but we'll we'll persevere and we'll we'll get there, and uh, it's good to be back talking about games. Beautiful, and... uh... It's been a while, but uh, we are lucky enough to have a a, a third person uh, join, joining the podcast today uh, in a in a in a you know very interesting topic that they brought to us as well. So we've got Josh from Nintendvania podcast. Josh, how are you going? Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Zach and Brendan. Um, listened to a few of your episodes. Love the setup and how it goes. Um, just the format of it. So. Um, I'm keen to talk about this one. This is a, a very special one to my heart, being a Nintendo fanboy. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, and yeah, so yeah, Josh and I, so if you haven't uh, heard of Nintendvania before, it's a uh, Nintendo podcast, obviously, or maybe not obviously, but you know, if you were to guess that, you would be right. <laughs> and he was uh, very kind to have me on a couple of weeks ago, so I think the last episode that probably went up, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Though, albeit whenever this goes up, that may not be accurate anymore. We'll see. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and we met at PAX uh, through our mutual uh, podcasting uh, friend, Drew, uh, on the House of Mario, on that episode that I guested on. So, yeah, thank you for joining us. And, yeah, you brought us a uh, – you gave us a few topic ideas, and we've gone with one of them. Did you want to just to give us a quick, you know, the audience, uh, let them in on what we're going to discuss today? Yeah. So, it's – the rise and fall, I suppose, of co-op gaming. And for me, as someone who's grown up with Nintendo, this is um, something very close to me because um, obviously uh, you had I, I grew up with the 64 and got handed down a console and I got to play it with my brothers. And so the 64 is just co-op king, isn't it? It's just got all these great four-player local co-op games. And, and, and that's where the love of that kind of game structure sort of, came for me and so you're really excited to talk about this and how it's changed over the years obviously there's advancements in technology that have formed part of you know why it's maybe not so popular uh, back maybe a few years ago it might be a bit more popular now we'll, we'll talk about all that so uh yeah the rise and fall of corp gaming awesome no yeah thank you yeah i think there's a lot to unpack here and you've sort of started in in where i think is probably one of the you know first off i think what we needed to find is what what is a co-op mm. game and what makes like a good co-op game? So I know, Brendan, do you have any initial thoughts from your end on what you you look for uh, in a cooperative game? Well, I think it's an interesting question because of that is what is a co-op game? Because there's the question of how do we delineate it from, well, multiplayer games, more broadly speaking, and competitive games. I guess the idea of cooperative games is, well, in the word cooperative, that you're working together with one, two, three other players generally and maybe more depending on what the game is to against the cpu against the computer or it could be i guess arguably against another team of players but then is that a cooperative game or is that a just a team-based multiplayer game i guess it's probably a good idea for us to discuss whether we're talking about one or the other or both i think in a way both are still cooperative i think what makes a good cooperative game broadly speaking is that it's a shared experience it's the experience that's elevated by the fact that you are 
playing it with another person. I think there are there probably are some examples if we scratched our minds and talked about it of games that have cooperative modes that really don't add much or the single player is just stronger experience for a variety of reasons. But there are those ones that just, for a number of reasons, for a number of, from a gameplay perspective, they just are elevated by that co-op element and it's a great way to experience a game and have a gaming experience with, with a friend of yours without having to directly compete against them in a, I guess, a, tr- a traditional 1v1 multiplayer game is how I'd, I guess, start to try to define it, broadly speaking. So I guess, Josh, where where does it start for you in terms of, I guess, broadly speaking, what a co-op game is? Yeah, well, I suppose for me, yeah, like I said before, growing up, it was the, um, the, the sort of the split screen. You got four players in the same room together playing the game. And so, like you said, it's a shared experience. It's you're being brought together and it's not just the game you're playing, but it's also being everyone in the room, to, everyone in the room together at once. It just means there's this extra dimension of um, experience again, playing these games. And so uh, for me, um, like, like this is like pure childhood nostalgia here, you know, Mario Kart 64 having battle mode, four players, split screen, and just absolutely, you know, you're screen cheating, you're, talking smack to the other players and just having an amazingly fun time really just uh, going through it all that the more I thought about it there's isn't because it's not just like split screen co-op there's like simultaneous co-op there's like even like a turn-based kind of co-op there's a lot of sort of different aspects to think about it and then then the internet comes obviously and then it's a very different experience after that yes because when I when I think about co-op of my childhood like you I had a 64 that was console my older brother had so that's what I grew up on so I'm sure we had a lot of very similar experiences in terms of multiplayer gaming and cooperative gaming but what also comes to mind is that we also had an NES growing up and the original Super Mario Bros does have a two-player mode and that Mm. is very cooperative in that yes you take turns one is one person is Mario one person is Luigi and you're going through all the courses one by one separately Mm. and it's no different gameplay-wise if you're just playing on your own single player, but it's adding mm. that experience of having a, another person sat next to you that, not like an Ocarina of Time that I remember growing up watching my brother play, that I was a passive actor. He was off doing dungeons and going across Hyrule Fields and the like, and I couldn't play unless I forced him to give up the controller and have a go. <laughs> in, in Super Mario Bros, you got to have that. You, you, you watch one person play, and then you went as well. It's similar to... Duck Hunt and a lot of NES games that had multiplayer because of various, I guess, limitations and the like. That That is what cooperative play in those early days of gaming was. It was one person had a go and then the next person had a go and you'd either compare progress through levels or scores in high score games and the like. So there's yeah. an element of it that's always been close to heart in gaming. I see it. I love that one as well because it's just a normal thing like to play maybe a single player focused game and to pass the controller after you've done a level whereas Super Mario Bros there's a bit more like structure to it where you can yeah take turns um, being each like a different character each so I love that um, I think Ice Plum has had simultaneous co-op as well so not really my favourite game but that's that's a cool example to bring up you know so like like this this has like been around for ages co-op it's um, you know uh, even the arcade scene um you know, back to even Pong as well. It's it's really been there since the start of gaming. 
Yes, and speaking... I actually wasn't going to bring it up in this topic, but just what you mentioned, arcades, reminds me of things like Time Crisis and those Mm. light gun games where often it was a much more enjoyable experience playing it with a friend. I remember playing many of them with my older brother and they'd always... And even my dad loved them because he'd grab a big machine gun or handgun and just shoot the screen. And it's sort of games that anyone can enjoy. And I think... Like, going back to your initial statement, that's really what cooperative games are about. Whether we whether we decide to, I guess, separate it between, I guess, multiplayer games and cooperative games, is there, whether there's a difference or not. It's about having that shared experience. But do you think there is a... Is there a difference between a multiplayer game and a cooperative game? Are, are we saying there is a difference, or do we think they... Categories that are one and the same. That when we talk about local multiplayer, that is, like, local cooperative multiplayer gaming or are we talking about specific experiences where you're working together with another person be it against other human beings or against a programmed cpu entity i suppose yes and no isn't it it's um you sort of the more you talk about it, the more you can deep dive into what, what it actually means and um i suppose you've got to be specific about it because co-op you know can be um the online aspect of it as well and so I mean, and that, that's why you got the local co-op to be a bit more specific and then the multiplayer online, um, you, can, you can sort of talk about how that's a very individual experience, but online as well. Um, but there's even aspects, you can do co-op online as well, can't you? You can have two players in the same room playing online against others. That That's a bit of a rarer occurrence, but it is something that does happen. So, you know, now I'm, I'm thinking about LAN parties now, you know, you got your... Um, it's not not the same console now, but you've got multiple consoles all together locally. You can play. That, that's a co-op ex- experience to a degree, isn't it? Um, you know, you're eliminating the internet potential lag by having uh, multiple consoles and all the people in the one room. So, um, yeah, I suppose when we delve deep into some of these other topics in the episode, we'll have to be a bit more specific about what we're talking about exactly because it, it does vary. There's a big spectrum, isn't there, of uh, of what it means. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's quite a broad way you could view co-op games. I mean, I think certainly back in the day it was simpler, right? Like you'd uh, view it as something you play, you know, with friends, maybe at the arcade, like a like a beat 'em up or something, or uh, you know, uh, as as time moved on, you know, local uh, on the on a console, uh, or potentially connect a few PCs together. Uh, and play uh, a shooter together or something like that. Uh, and over the years, it's sort of evolved through, you know, the natural progression of uh, adding online to probably the biggest uh, change to that space. For me, I think it's still about working together. I think that's typically what I view as co-op. But, you know, uh, I can certainly see, you know, that language is a bit of a, a ever-evolving and changing beast. Uh, so I can certainly see... Uh, how different people may have different um, perspectives on what co-op is and isn't. Uh, And particularly, you know, as you highlighted earlier, Brendan, um, there's quite a lot of gray area in modern gaming just due to the flexibility we have in how our game structures are. And we'll probably get into that as we sort of go through a bit of the the ages of of co-op gaming, starting with the old and into uh, where we are today. I guess you could argue, Zach, that the start of it was those early console games. And as I um, mentioned earlier, games like Super Mario Bros. on the NES that had specific multiplayer modes that were, in essence, co-op. They were cooperative in that you weren't you weren't faced against the um, other player you were playing with. You were both going through the game 
separately, of course, which added a new dimension and you could... Super Mario Brothers had scores that don't, don't really mean anything and I don't actually know anyone that cared about the scores except if you were gunning for the Nintendo Championship, like the characters from The Wizard. But uh, really, <laughs> that that's where it starts for me personally as well. That, that was one of my earliest memories was my uncle's nest that we randomly had that playing through both Duck Hunt and Super Mario Bros, which for me are quintessential co-op experiences. Yeah, and I think that sort of style of gameplay, even though it was a bit more formalized in those NES and SNES days because of hardware limitations, right? Like, I, I remember, you know, yeah, the first time you play Super Mario Brothers 3 in a, in a post-new Super Mario Brothers world and you boot up the multiplayer mode and it's literally, you know, die and pass on the controller to, to the uh, player 2. Uh, I was a bit, like, uh, confusing as a kid, uh, but... Um, you know, I think that's also like then evolved into a lot of how, you know, when you had friends over and maybe you just don't feel like playing something that actually has uh, multiplayer, you're not feeling like Smash Brothers or GoldenEye or anything like that. Uh, you might just play, I don't know, Super Mario 64 and and trade off when uh, when you die or when you get a star, that kind of thing. I think it certainly evolved into its own bespoke style of cooperative play. But, you know, outside of that, I think, yeah, I mean, my early experience, it's hard, hard, hard to think. I feel like I didn't really get deep into co-op myself until I got towards, like, maybe when it started to surge back. And it was a lot of that more team-based co-op sort of stuff. Like, as a kid, I certainly played a lot of local multiplayer games. And I suppose there are things like Mario Party, which have a lot of co-op elements. That's probably the, the earliest, I think. Now I, now I sort of actually sit here and try and untangle the cobwebs in my memory, but... You know, like there was, you know, you could do 2v2 or you could do, you know, certain mini games that are specifically cooperative uh, or certain modes as well. And some of the Mario parties that are a bit of a, a variant on the standard board uh, would allow you to work together uh, towards a particular goal. That's the ones that probably stand out the most to me in my early childhood memory. Mario Party's great for that. In, in particular, the, the one player games that they brought into Mario Party 1. Like for a co-op game, they bring in those silly uh, one-player games. I'm kidding anyway. But um, yeah. <laughs> uh, t- t- to me, it's defined by, um, like, if you had, like, brothers and sisters growing up, like, co-op is is where it was at. Because I-, I talked to-, to Drew from the House of Mario, and he's a single, like, no brothers or sisters. And he he, he hasn't played a lot of these games. And so his childhood, it's gaming-wise, has been very different to, I feel, a lot of kids who had the, the siblings to sort of play with. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, you're playing these games and I just so many fond memories of, yeah, because I was saying to, to Brendan before, you're playing these games, but you're also having that shared connection with someone. It's mm-hmm. where you can build your friendships, where you build rapport with someone, you can have a laugh. And it's not necessarily the game that's the best bit, but also the the fun you're having with the other person. And so it's a whole different dimension that, you know, you're, like you're like playing a board game with someone, you know, like you're doing this actual activity with another person, seeing their reactions, you know, the local cop anyway, that that was a really powerful and, and cool thing growing up playing games with. A hundred percent. Like, I think, you know, all like, you know, if you're a reviewer or whatever, or a critique of ga- critique of games, uh, when you're doing a, a multiplayer game of any kind, sometimes the technical aspects that you would you know, analyze become a bit moot because the experience you have with the right group of people tend to just, you know, overshadow any sort of glitches. And in some ways, maybe even the technical issues with a game become even more 
interesting, more funny, uh, you know, it's one of your friends or someone gets particularly frustrated by something, right? So, you know, it's it's hard to compare something that's so focused on playing together with, with groups of friends uh, versus uh, doing it, you know, by yourself. Like some of my most like memorable gaming experience of things like playing until dawn or any of those uh what's the studio called uh someone will remember it uh but you know those those horror slash co-op games that sort of started on the playstation 4 and have um i think it's super massive maybe anyway we'll keep going um uh those, those are always such a fun time even though sometimes their stories are crap uh, and they're certainly not, you know, anything compared to, say, a God of War on the same system uh, in terms of their technical wonder. But, uh, yeah, they just stand out so strongly due to the just being in the same room with, you know, five, six people uh, making these choices and, and sort of trying to progress with this game together. Uh, and that's, you know, I think very true with, with, you know, even going back to the early days. It's that joy... Uh, of experiencing it together and sometimes that frustration as well uh, makes it that much more I think impactful in your mind than something you know that may be a masterpiece but is a single player thing that you did sort of by yourself mm. it's the idea that's at the heart of why people stream games it's it's an evolution of that I know that this is a massive tangent right now but as Josh says it's about that social connection it's about building rapport with someone you're playing with it's about having those shared experiences of, oh, just did something really cool and be it Ocarina of Time or GoldenEye or any single-player game or if we pivot into specific co-op games, if we go back, if we're talking still 64, I think of Perfect Dark, which had a dedicated cooperative mode and you're going through a pretty... You're basically going through the campaign with a friend and you you have that shared experience of conquering something, of completing something and... It's like if you're streaming a game, you're having a shared experience with your audience of, yes, only one person is playing it, but the people that are watching that stream are, have decided to turn on and tune into that stream because they're invested. They have a rapport with the. It's a very different rapport, but they have a rapport with the streamer. They, they can even have rapport with people in the audience that are also watching, and you get this community, which is why I think that idea of playing even single-player games, forcing co-op, on a game that wasn't designed for co-op in that era of gaming was as powerful as the games that had specific bespoke tailored cooperative experiences. Yeah, for sure. And maybe this is now a good time to start to keep moving through history uh, and going through uh, when co-op games sort of started to take a, a lull. And I will say this is more focused on maybe the console space. Cause I think the PC space is a unique beast that we're going to probably maybe discuss after this, uh, in terms of these types of games. But yeah, the console games started to feel like they moved a bit away from this co-op. I'd say sort of towards the end of maybe the, you know, GameCube, PS2, Xbox life cycle and into the 360, PS3, uh, and to an extent the Wii life cycle, uh, but more so on those two HD consoles. Uh, and it's probably an interesting time to think about why that may have occurred. And of course, it's a bit of speculation, but... uh. Yeah, I don't know. First, I might just check with both of you, uh, Josh. Maybe first. Is that? Do you, would you agree that sort of from your recollection, when you sort of felt that sort of to die down a bit in terms of the availability of of these types of games? Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I suppose for full disclosure, I've always grew up with Nintendo, so I've always had the Nintendo console with me. But um, 
uh, we had a, an original Xbox and 360 growing up, and then all my friends um, had PS3s, and so I've got one of those, and then I've been PlayStation ever since. But um, definitely with the, the rise of HD gaming, but also like internet online connectivity and playing online, it was definitely you know the experience of playing with someone was getting less and less easier to find, and so you know while you might be able to play with them, it was through an, an online mode or you know you're not in the same room together and so I, th- I think that's one aspect of it the internet side but also for these for sony and, and microsoft you know they, they're going for the best possible like look to a game they, they want it to look amazing they want they, they put, they're pumping everything into that kind of aspect and so when you do like local co-op or any sort of co-op you know with the split screen even that's like doubling the output isn't it to a degree you know there's you know, it's a lot more is required. And firstly, like, I, I, you know, I think we saw a decrease from like two, four player options to two player options, um, maybe because of that. But surely that's a component that feeds into it because, you know, Nintendo, that wasn't really an issue for them. Um, you know, uh, they, they never, like, after the GameCube, they pivoted a bit. Blue Ocean strategy, um, graphics aren't their main concern and so they had a bit more up their sleeve to to, to cater to those sort of um uh, options so um i think that the main things for me it was just yeah a lot of it being the internet and um whether they wanted to maybe people didn't want to play these local co-op games as much because if you've got the internet you can play not just with people next to you online but also people around the world so it just opened up a whole different way of of playing just to also specify that uh, I think we've edged around it, but I think what we're talking about is how, as Josh said, those games on PS3 and Xbox 360, they removed local multiplayer options and modes from their games. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't just that there was a pivot to online and that you had the availability of online. It's, and it's a trend that's actually continued to this day, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get there by the end of this conversation, but there are games that on generally Sony and Microsoft platforms that the only multiplayer options are online. It, even if the game has multiplayer capabilities and you have the game, you have the disc, you have a friend over, you're not going to be able to play it with them. And I think that was definitely something that... And I think it was also, in my view, it was more of a Sony, even more of a Sony thing than a Microsoft thing. Because if you think about Microsoft, there's games like your classic Halo that up until recently, and I guess the issues with the current... Is it Halo Infinite's um, current one, isn't yeah, it? Correct. Yeah, That Halo Infinite doesn't even have couch co-op campaign, which has been a mainstay of all the Halo games, going back to the first game, going through the 1, 2, 3, 4, the Xbox One, the Xbox 360 games. They all had this well-received couch co-op mode that a lot of people enjoy playing through with their friends. When you look at the Sony games, it was really... Aside from a few examples that we can would be able to spit out, most of the multiplayer options were online, and I think that was definitely a negative shift in my view. And also, when you were had your console fanboy hat on, it's one of the things that you could still say, "Oh, Nintendo is much better for local multiplayer <laughs> experiences." You have Mario Kart, you have Wii Sports, you have Smash Brawl. For all the faults of the Wii, the Wii was really still that perfect platform for multiplayer local multiplayer couch co-op games 
Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree because I was so I started working at a JB Hi-Fi probably midway through that life cycle of systems, uh, and that was always a big issue with customers coming in, you know, having a PS3 or a 360, and they want like a racing game. They're not wedded to any racing game; they just want a racing game they could do four-player multiplayer with. Uh, and there was like none, <laughs> you know, like you'd go, you know, without if you hadn't researched it before you i would go like oh yeah probably need for speed and then i'd pick up need for speed and i'm like oh that's one to two players maybe if you're lucky local uh and then something else like blur or something would be like one player i might be wrong as to which ones are one and two but so many were were restricted to two and i think you're right josh to an extent that's probably due to the the hardware limitations i mean we i think we talked about it I can't remember when on something I've been on recently, whether it was um, a blowing cartridge episode, uh, but like Mario Kart's 64's music cuts out uh, partway. Um, I think if you do over two players or over, uh, you know, three or four players, uh, and I think that's, you know, similar to other Mario Kart's, they'll cut the frame rate when you go above a certain player amount because of the extra processing power to sort of generate the, the race course um, multiple times on one system. So I do suspect that was a lot of uh, driven by just needs of developers, right? They, you know, probably wanted having as many players locally as the system supports, which by then I think every system had at least four player or four controller support natively without a need of a multi-tap or anything of that nature. That, yeah, just being able to get it to run on that, that hardware was just not feasible compared to, you know, connecting up multiple PS3s, 360s online so they can each generate the world and, and whatever other assets they need separately. So I, I do think you're right. It, it was probably heavily driven by just constraints of the, the systems at that point in time. And then feeding into that, like uh, with Black Ops, Call of Duty, we, we used to love the um, the zombie mode. And so I have mm. very fond memories of playing with my brothers. Uh, we'd get a friend as well. We could do four-player local in the very first Black Ops. And then um, I've tried to continue to do it with some of my mates. And... The latest Black Ops, um, uh, Cold War, I think it's called, whatever it's called. Um, we, we really tried to do local, like split screen. We thought there was an option. We were toggling with the options. It just wasn't happening. Um, we, we couldn't even get two-player working. And so I, I don't know if it's just me being naive, but just I don't know whether the functionality is not there or whether they make it incredibly difficult for it to, to, to occur. I, I think the whole... I think, I think the point I'm trying to make is their default is online. You play online now. The, the, the local co-op isn't really the option there for you now. Oh, I mean, if I can go into a rant, uh, this is a bit of a, if you've listened to a lot of episodes of our podcast, this is a running Oh, yes, joke, here we go. But, but you, know where I'm, <laughs> you know where I'm going. So the I think game one of, of the, the year, 2021. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the best, for me, local multiplayer experiences uh which was very hard to have back in the day was playing final fantasy crystal chronicles on a gamecube uh with four game boys and uh three friends what what are you talking about it's it's four game boys four gamecubes and four crt tvs yeah yeah if you have four game boy players and tvs and you actually each use uh your own uh tv but uh i think <laughs> i never got that experience i know a few people in our um our uh, former aussie nintendo uh you know crew have Wow, uh, wow, I was not okay. so lucky. Very yeah, rare. They, they, yeah, yeah. They well, they just went through the effort of uh, <laughs> when you got a lot of hardcore Nintendo collectors. That's when you can actually that's find true. enough uh, of that, uh, particularly in in a city like I think most of them are based in Sydney. Uh, anyway, I digress. But it is such a fun experience. And then you know they released 
the HD version two years ago, I think it was, uh, on modern systems, I think mobile, Switch, and PS4. And uh, yeah, they really, really stuffed it up because uh, they did not have any form of ability to play it without connecting online, multi- uh, multiplayer at least, which just baffles the mind. I mean, it wasn't like a, a really grand remaster, you know, it wasn't FF7 to FF7 remake. It was just slightly, you know, the resolution was a bit nicer, but it was still very murky textures. So it's it's not a, it shouldn't have been a processing issue, not to mention Crystal Chronicles, you're all on one screen. So it hasn't got the issue of a split screen game where you're generating multiple areas of a map. You're just all on the same area. But yeah, you had to be online. That means you all had to have a single system and a copy of the game to do it versus one system. It just, you know, what should have been a free home run of taking this incredibly hard to play multiplayer experience just from how, how much hardware you need to own to a fairly easy, simple one. They they still like fumbled it up. And of course, you know, in Australia, we had the extra issue of uh, our servers just did not work for whatever reason. We were just like hard blocked for months. Um, they had to delist the game off Australian shops for like months until they fixed it uh, for reasons we'll never really know. Um, but yeah, like it's just frustrating because uh, I don't know, like again, not everyone's going to buy their own copy of a game. Not everyone has an online subscription considering that's pretty much a necessity for all the modern systems other than pc it takes what could have been a very accessible experience to an incredibly unaccessible one once again which is means that again very few people will experience a what i think is a a very uh one of the peak sort of co-op games you could play if you get it all set up together so anyway that was a bit of a rant but uh very relevant to this topic (laughs) Uh, it's it's uh, a good point though because um, it, like because yeah you're right, it means that there's more people buying copies of games and so the the decline of local co-op has meant uh you know four people playing one game now doesn't mean one version of the game being bought necessarily it's four versions of the game being bought now and so it's probably a good you know, uh, correlation of the decline of uh, local co-op and the increase of sales with the multiplayer game you know it's um. It just means more money, doesn't it? And so this local online multiplayer leads to other things as well, like DLC, microtransactions. And so while not directly related, it's, you know, that's that, that trend has resulted in this new one that's come through. If we're talking about the late 2000s, do we think that maybe demographics had a role to play as well in terms of we're talking primarily PS3 and Xbox 360, Microsoft and Sony? I, you put, You probably could argue that if you look at the player base well the average age of gamers these days is i think the last i read was in their 30s or so is the average age of a gamer do we think that perhaps publishers and console um, manufacturers realized that that was the trend that it wasn't as often that people would get together in someone's house after school or in a college dorm that their target audiences had aged out of those demographics so they had to cater to those players and well all those those players will generally have internet connections because we weren't in the world of dial up anymore you could actually have broadband internet and outside of it well we're all australian so we still suffer from internet issues we can't stream cloud games like people in europe and america can or japan but even in australia internet's pretty it's good enough for most games these days as long as the publisher the developer has decent 
internet infrastructure. So basically anyone not Nintendo, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I digress. I think, it, do, do we think that's an issue? Uh, is that one of the reasons that we have this, I guess, dark age and decline of co-op gaming? It has to. Pretty yeah. likely, yeah. I, I'd say it's definitely a big factor. Uh, I think I think it also is, it comes to like the experiences that a lot of people probably thought were suited for co-op were were you know not appealing to to people that were of that demographic necessarily. I think they they sort of viewed co-op games as maybe a bit more fun and lighthearted because a lot of them had been not not all but a lot had and maybe they were sort of thinking you know we need to pivot to more serious. Uh, big a block you know triple a blockbuster kind of experiences uh or again competitive multiplayer obviously was massive i think you know call of duty uh it had the zombies mode and it had um its core you know suite of of death battle modes i don't know what the right term is um uh, i feel like i used to be able to say this but uh, these days we have so many different fps (laughs) styles it's, it's all blurring together but even like you know if we look at zombies that skipped every maybe like second game depending on who was developing it so they kind of viewed the multiplayer the competitive multiplayer as their focus their flagship part of the game which you know it probably is and i think that's that trend and seeing how that success of that particular game series probably influenced a lot of other uh developers to be like we need to make our own shooter or our own you know call of duty killer battlefield obviously you know tried very hard Still probably does to this day and age when, whenever we get another one, even though they seem to keep stuffing it up. <laughs> but yeah, I, I suspect you're right, Brendan. The demographic that they perceived was there and what they were interested in would have would have shifted it away from those co-op uh, local games. I 100% agree. It's, you know, um, as a 28-year-old dude now, I, you know, I'm not going after school, catching up with a friend and playing games as much. The, the co-op, the chances to co-op are very much more limited. You know, I'm at, I'm at this stage you now where my, some of my friends have got kids or some of my friends have got other commitments. You know, we're, we're working full-time. We've got busy lives going on. And so um, definitely is this trend of, you know, there's less opportunity to do it. And so the online or the single-player experience of playing a game is, is where it's going to be. I am, um, with my own show, I'm going to talk about this a bit, but um, Nintendo just did their... Um, Every six months or a year, they do a bit more information about their user base, and they did a chart showing the median age of uh, a Nintendo Switch user is 22. So you know, oh, not a kid. Okay. It's uh, you know that it peaks at 22, and it is a lot higher in the 20s than it is in the teen years. And yep. so um, I think that feeds into what you're saying, Brendan. Um, and and it it's it's a pretty like it declines obviously as you get older, but the declines pretty steady and not too bad until you get to 40 and then after 40s it, it the, the decline is greater and so if you're you know using the basis that you know if, it, if someone's got a nintendo console they've probably got they're likely to have another one as well um so you know i think there's definitely definite case for you know people are older playing these games you know once they start playing kid games as a kid they probably keep playing games and so there's a lot more older people playing games than younger ones and you just have a less chance to play co-op don't you as a, as an adult well you're spot on and i think we're speaking about this dark age the late 2000s and i think that's an interesting point that we're saying this is a dark age because i think of i think of a phenomenon that existed in that period in gaming which was the plastic instruments your rock band guitar hero and that was purely <laughs> 
a cooperative local couch experience. You, I don't think there's any, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think any of those games really ever introduced cooperative online modes. Could you ever play like Band Hero or Rock Bands online? I'm gonna gonna say yes, but I'm not confident. Not I sure. just feel like it's highly likely that they would have at some stage. I have a feeling that if it did, it would be something that people probably wouldn't enjoy because it'd be serious lag issues. Like I remember, sometimes it'd be lag issues, like playing depending on what type of TV you had and the like. So I, I can't imagine it was a optimal experience if there was. And that had a very sharp rise and fall, which was sort of in this dark age period, which I think is a bit of a Perhaps a contradiction, but also I think it was a particular type of game and a particular type of, I guess, game type of gamer that enjoyed playing those games. Like, I'm, I played Guitar Hero. I think most people, a lot of people I know owned at least one of them, but I actually don't know anyone. Oh, I know one person, and well, you know them as well, Zach, <laughs> that was really into having the entire, like, setup for Band Hero Rock Band, but I feel like that was a bit of an anomaly because it just became a space issue those games well i think you've hit on a really good point there which i think we've talked about the perceived lack of demand from customers but i think it was a bit false i think people did actually want local experiences and again i very anecdotal but it comes back to what i was saying with i had a lot of customers come in looking for those types of games uh for their systems when i worked in you know retail and i think the fact that band hero or you know rock band a guitar hero, whatever you want to call them, were so successful just really demonstrates that because it means people were willing to spend a lot of money, a lot of their living room space to have uh, these really fun, you know, co-op, you know, get together on a on a Friday night experience and jam until 2 or 3 a.m. You know, I get there's also a novelty to it. It's it's not the same as uh, playing, uh, you know, something like a, I don't know, overcooked, but it's still, when it's the only option, uh, I think it also feeds into that crowd a little bit because I think that's probably why they've died off to an extent is because they have, we do have such a larger array of a bit more accessible, a bit more lighthearted, uh, cooperative multiplayer games that you can do locally that the need to spend $300 you know, on a on a band set that is mostly going to collect us once you once you get bored of it versus a 10 to 20 dollar digital game that uh takes up zero space uh, in the real world at least has has probably helped drive the i guess the downfall of of those instrument games seems like better as a live service those games anyway isn't it um you're not going to buy the actual peripheral every time that they offered it but um it was harmonics wasn't it the the developers yeah. that they were keeping it alive during the during the dark age that we're so called calling it a, I want to quickly pivot to PC gaming just for a second because obviously PC gaming is a hit or miss when it comes to local stuff, right? Uh, particularly at this point, PC obviously being one of the first places to get the online experience before console, and really thrived, I think, on that during those times. You know, if I think of these these ages when it comes to online games. That's that was the peak for me. Uh, I was playing, you know, a lot of Left 4 Dead, which is a very good co-op game. And while you could try and play it locally, it just didn't work quite as well. Uh, and Brendan, I also suspect this is when you're playing a lot of World of Warcraft, which is an interesting thing to talk about when it comes to co-op <laughs> because MMOs are kind of co-op, competitive, single player, all in one, in one hit. Uh, and I can only, you know, say from my own experience, but doing, you know, a level in Left 4 Dead or um, 
a raid or a, a hard challenge in an MMO, it still created a fairly similar euphoria to beating a, a level or something in Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Uh, it, it, thanks to the technology that allowed you to speak and see your friends online, it was, you know, it, I can see how it was a replacement for many people to just play online rather than, you know, play locally. You had the opportunity to build rapport with other players. Like, I, I remember, particularly in Burning Crusade, Wrath of the Lich King age, where before they added things to the game that kind of ruined that side of things, it was, you'd often, I made in-game friends just, like, encountering other players in various zones and then going through instances and doing group quests and the like back before you didn't have random dungeon finders and the like. You actually had to use global chats and the like to cobble groups together and uh i wasn't even pl- i even had the extra bonus of playing on a u.s server for various reasons so there was a time difference aspect there as well so it was a bit harder to have that social interaction but it was still a constant aspect of the game and it was one of the th- reasons why i played so much in those early days of wow and why ultimately i stopped playing mmos and stopped playing wow was that i'd always i'd play for a couple i'd play for five, six months and stop and then maybe go back in a year or two. And that sort of is what I did for a cu- about four or five years away and it was going through expansions. And for me, it's just, it became a search to try to recapture that, I guess, the social element, that enjoyment, euphoria you had of playing with other people that I just felt wasn't there anymore in the game. So I eventually weaned myself off. And as we've discussed previously, I kind of boycott blizzard activision anyway so i stopped playing wow altogether even vanilla wow didn't get me back in so that is definitely a factor and i think it's an interesting topic pc gaming that is in terms of cooperative because as josh alluded to earlier and he might want to go into a bit more of his experiences you had land pc gaming in the late 90s early 2000s and that was very much social gathering of people often playing real-time strategy games and, and some first-person shooters, but often real-time strategy games. And then that became, like, you could, you could also do it in WoW. People went to internet cafes and played WoW together and would raid together. So there were still elements of of LAN parties being a thing even for online games. And you see that t- to this day with, like, esports and games like your MOBAs and the like, that these are games that you now can play with people in the same room. And some people say that is more enjoyable than playing online, even though often you all have headsets on and you're talking to each other locally, like you would online. It's not like the old days of lands where you didn't really have headsets and you just shout at each other over the top of each other and play loud music in the background and the like, it's, it's very different. I've got some fond memories of going to like an internet cafe and having some friends there and, you know, you can play, you know, that's right. Had the land party, but you go to someone somewhere where it's all it's organized for you. So that that was very fun. You can get that extra dynamic. You can um, play the game, talk to each other, um, go through that. Uh, Halo Three uh, did their firefight ODST. Um, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, had multiple TVs and consoles, um, having a couple of friends over doing that. So yeah, just great fun and adds that extra dimension. But but that's about it for me for PC. I've never really um, it's never really been my my jam for, for gaming. I have to, though, also to sort of contradict what I said at the start and piggyback what you were saying, Brendan, I do agree the LAN party or the local aspect did elevate things uh, a little bit. You know, I remember, so I, me and my friends were quite into Guild Wars 2, 
Uh, so what is that? That's still probably a bit later than this generation, but either way. And I remember when we were doing the final uh, dungeon. Uh, so think of it like, you know, your final boss in a, in a game. Uh, we decided just to get together and do it in, at my house rather than uh, do it all online. And I think we were up for like eight hours <laughs> trying to beat it because uh, MMO dungeons, if you're not prepared, can be pretty tough uh, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, you need to sort of coordinate incredibly well. And uh, yeah, but that again, I think the fact that we're all together really elevated that uh, memory and experience, despite how incredibly frustrating it also was to be up from like started at maybe like six or seven p.m. and finished at like three or four a.m. <laughs> I think that that day. Big effort! Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I, I remember many late nights of of um, World of Warcraft of MMOs and also just that quintessential land experience i remember a few friends of mine and i we would uh i would have like probably early teens mid-teens i'd have i'd go over stay the night at their place and we'd all have laptops at that point and we'd play games like age of empires 2 and i think even once we played like maple story or something weird and uh it was just having that experience together being in the same room just creating your own challenges having your having these own experiences and pivoting back to consoles or handheld the nintendo ds was great for that as well there were games you could have the download play experiences like mario kart ds and mario party ds that only one person had to own the game and you could like sure no one wanted to play a shy guy in mario kart ds so it was kind of a <laughs> inferior experience but you could still do it you could still play the game and experience the game and have fun and it was the same I think I only did it once or twice, but a similar experience with Mario Party DS. I think probably the reason why I only ever played it once was that same friend had a GameCube and like Mario Party 5 and probably 7, I think, so you, or 5 and 6. So you play those instead, of course. But it was just having those options and having those opportunities that the Nintendo 3DS had some of those download play options as well. So I feel like... We always keep on going back to it, and I know we all have Nintendo focuses and Nintendo inclinations, but Nintendo's really been that the cons- the one publisher, the one console manufacturer that's always, I guess, kept alive and understood that there's always going to be a part of their player base and a, a certain part, a certain type of gamer that wants those cooperative local experiences, and they'll cater for that, which oh, I think a lot of publishers just it might be a resource issue as we said it might be oh, they don't want to degrade the frame rate but they have pivoted towards well if you're playing multiplayer it's because you're playing with people online and you'll have your own console and you'll have your own copy of the game you're not going to be doing it side by side on a single couch with one console and a couple of controllers that's right it's um they're the kings of it and uh you know i think zach mentioned before you can like with the gamecube having the four different Game Boy advanced controllers connected so like even before the DS, they had options for it. It wasn't practical, but they had options <laughs> for that kind of thing with the handhelds. I think of the Wii U gamepad um, and how that mm. brought a unique co-op element. Nintendo Land is great for this. There's like people will, like give it a bit of hate, but there's some really fun games and like different uses of the gamepad and how you know that experience for that one person's different to the potentially four other people in the room playing the game with you. Mm. So you know they're bringing really unique things. Like even um. 51 worldwide games um, my brother and I one of my brothers anyway loves playing it with me and he doesn't have the game he will for Christmas though um, but <laughs> if he's listening he's, he knows what his, his present is but 
Um, we can even do the mosaic mode. So we get our two switches together. We can line them up. We're playing um, tanks together. And it's a really unique experience. Um, and he doesn't need to buy the game for that. You know, There's different aspects of it which are really cool and, and approachable. Um, we'll be able to do more stuff once he gets to the game. But Nintendo's just great at, you know, it's not just four controllers looking at a screen. It's different, unique ways to have fun and experience this. And you know other company really does it. And, and that's what makes it special. That's what makes, you know, having a Nintendo console in a family really special is because people share these moments together that no other company can really provide. It's even goes to their console design. If you think about the Switch mm. and Joy-Cons, that you can detach the Joy-Cons from the console and there you go, two controllers. Like, sure, it's a suboptimal experience, like Mosaic Mode and the like, potentially, but you can play Smash Brothers Ultimate with two Joy-Cons, two players. Like, is it yeah. great? No, but you can do it. No. <laughs> yeah, they, they prioritize the ability to do it over whether it's the optimal version of it, that, which is, I think is very key. Uh, I just want to quickly bring up, because you sort of mentioned it there with Nintendo Land uh, and the Wii U, that asymmetric multiplayer experience, mm. I think, is really something that I think Nintendo did very well in. I'm sure there's somebody that did it first, so I don't want to say they pioneered it, but I almost want to say that. <laughs> uh, but it's also really blown up, I think, in the in today's indie space as well, which is probably where we'll end up uh, landing in this conversation is the people who sort of have saved and resurged the co-op uh, experience. But yeah, like, you know, playing Nintendo Land and having, you know, one person uh, in that Zelda game be the, the archer and the recipe of the swords people, uh, or, you know, uh, I think there was the ghost mini game where one person's, you know, trying to uh, find all the ghosts, uh, or maybe it's the ghost is the one, I can't remember which one's the, the gamepad and which one's the, <laughs> the uh, controller at this point, but these co-op competitive, you're playing the same game, but your experiences is quite different is I think a real um, boon to this space. And I think, you know, very heavily of the rise of Among Us in the uh, last couple of years as that sort of asymmetric, you know, most people are working together, a few people are working against the, the team, you don't quite know who you're actually working together with, but uh, those kinds of experiences are very unique and I think very enjoyable for some people, a bit too stressful. They don't like the, the lying and that kind of stuff. But uh, for me, I think that's a really good subcategory that's you know come into fruition in the last few years. Uh, and I do think, you know, I, again, I look at Nintendo and the Wii U and a lot of those, you know, even Game & Wario had a, um, a very good... Uh, you know, you got to find the the bad guys uh, using the gamepad, and the bad guys are all the the other people in the room who are sort of controlling on Wii remotes. Um, you know, I think they really hit that mark first or very early on before others, you know, took advantage of of the modern infrastructure again, PCs and online to make it work in, in their own games. And I think the one that a lot of people will know of, even non gamers, is Jackbox Party. It's one that brilliantly captures that spirit that that's one that you don't even need multiple controllers to play have people play they can get their smartphone out and jump right in and they always experience very wacky and diverse experiences but they are experiences that anyone can really pick up and play and i think that's something that i guess created a barrier in terms of local multiplayer perhaps in that if we go back to that so-called dark age that a lot of games were becoming a bit more complex. So it wasn't like the 64 and NES and Super Nintendo games where you could just pass someone a controller and say, A is jump, 
the left analog goes left, the right analog goes right. Good luck. It was. A, it became a bit more complicated, and it became a bit more of a barrier to entry. Which I know, Zach, we've discussed it in a ancient episode of Blowing Cartridges a couple of years ago. I think about controllers and the and sort of complexity of games, but something like these, something like Among Us and Jackbox Party, they're bringing gaming back to I guess its basics, and it becomes more accessible and it brings that idea of co-op local couch play back into Vogue in that if you have people over to your house and they're non-gamers, they can, they can enjoy it, they can jump in. And it's like like bigger than foreplay potentially as well because mobile phone connection, um, you're watching the one screen on the TV than the one on your phone, mm-hmm. but you get so many more people playing these games. Um, uh, you know, I, I own like three to eight of the Jackbox Party Packs. I haven't got the latest one yet, but I, I love these. When I've got mates over, we play these games. Um, and yeah, that's like like you said, Brendan. Like it doesn't have to be gamers playing these. Like my parents have picked these up before and then have had a really good time because you know you just it prompts you through. You know what to do. It's it's a very fun time. Very sort of localized in terms of just focus on this one thing at the moment, and then you watch the TV afterwards, and the whole experience um, cascades from that, and you and you and you really enjoy it. So yeah, that's where we're seeing a bit of a rise, isn't it? And sort of you know. You get that ability to do that, and you know you can do this streaming as well. People can connect to these people streaming these games. People can play remotely as well. So it's a great kind of best of both worlds you get with those type of um, gaming experiences. Yeah, and I think you know what's I sort of hinted at it before, and uh, we've in our recent examples, it's becoming pretty evident. Uh, you know, in the modern landscape, where we've seen that resurgence, that revival, that filling of the demand for the local co-op has really been through indies, right? They've they've come to save the day. They've made a lot of fantastic, well you know regarded co-op games, uh, both local and online, in the last you know five or six, seven years. I don't know whenever the the boom sort of really began. Uh, you know, we can list off a bunch, but you know, you've got your Overcooks, you've got uh, Moving Out, uh, you've got, we've just talked about Jackbox, award-winning games from uh, Joseph Varis, like uh, <laughs> um, uh, a way It out. Takes Two and A Way Out, and uh, I think even Brothers could be, is, is sort of mostly a co-op game, even though you can do it with one controller. They've They've really come to fill the gap that triple a hasn't for for many years on on these again higher def systems we'll say uh as well as you know just create as a, for the switch for example the switch is all you really need for a local multiplayer experience if you haven't got enough with what nintendo offers there's literally hundreds of of uh games you could download on the eShop uh to play locally uh and get them sometimes super cheap for like a few bucks I think I picked up uh, uh, Unrailed um, the other week, which is a very fun, um, like, tr- it's like a roguelite where you're, like, going through building train tracks, trying to get your, like, trains through the country uh, with four players. And again, just some random co-op game that uh, seems to be well-reviewed, but I got it for, like, 2 or $3. So accessibility is, like, beyond the roof, both uh, financially and uh, in terms of how simple a lot of these games are. And the simplicity probably comes back to what we were saying before. You, pro- you can't have a super detailed 3D world running in parallel four times. But again, due to the limitations of budget, time, and resources, people are getting quite creative in the indie space to make games that do work and are just incredibly fun uh, locally. And again, most of them can be done online as well. You've got the best of, of both worlds. 
that was just packs for me, just playing those indies. A lot of them were four-player co-op. And so Rooftop Rampage was, was like one of the one of my favorite ones. And like you said, it's you know, the graphical capability isn't as high, and so they can offer these other things. And oh, it was just, just great, you know. It's a, nothing like finding like a, a gem of a game, like an indie one, four-player, um, and just having a great time with, with other people. So it's, it's a great hole that they're filling. What about you, Brendan? Have you uh, partook in many uh, indie or even just modern sort of co-op games that have come to fruition? Definitely one you mentioned, which is Overcooked. I've had a lot of fun playing that with my older sister and even my dad has got in on it. And it's, it's some, like, I always end up yelling at people and uh, it's a way to, <laughs> I guess, aggravate pe- um, people's relationships and the like. But it's, it's a lot of fun. And then there's also other indie games like Death Squared is probably another one that comes to mind. Uh, mm, um, pa- a, another Australian developed game. And like I played a lot of that single player and it's just a fun puzzle game. But there's, it's a good aspect when you're playing with another person that really elevates the experience, even though in many ways it's the same experience. Like I think there are some dedicated co-op ma- um, levels in that, but a lot of it is just the same as the single player um, levels, but you have another person helping you control the characters. And then... I'd call it indie, even though it's Nintendo, but Snipper Clips was another one I very much enjoyed mm-hmm. on launch of the Switch that very much had that style of gameplay ingrained in its in the DNA of the game. Like Again, you can play that on your own, but it's not really a game you would play on your own. It's a game that you want to play with someone else. And I think that's uh, probably, if we're thinking about the modern landscape, that's something that developers have to manage and it's 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 something that also if we went back to that late 90s period where you had a proliferation on the 64 and the like often co-op and couch co-op modes and multi local multiplayer modes were a bit of an add-on a bit of didn't really add much to the experience and was just kind of there because it was the expectation to have it there and i think games like lilac wars and even arguably donkey kong 64 that had local multiplayer modes but they weren't that great realistically like you got some fun out of them with your friends, but were they a key part of the experience? Not really. So I think that's something that a lot of these indie games definitely do strike well, but they incorporate the elements to make it part of the DNA, part of the purpose of the game. And that's what all games like Overcooked and Moving Out does. That you can't really imagine those games without local multiplayer. And sure, they also have online multiplayer as well, but... It's not quite the same. There's there's something special about the local experience. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly designed in mind. And I, I think, you know, it comes back to thanks to the discoverability uh, and, again, keeping the costs somewhat low in developing these games. Uh, they can focus on these more niche, well, not niche, but, like, compared to, say, again, you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on a, on a $60, I'm using US terms because our prices fluctuate quite a bit, game uh which needs to appeal to a you know you need to sell five ten million copies to to be worth it uh for some publishers it seems these don't need to sell as high so they can just be like yeah we're just going to make a local multiplayer game and the people that want that will buy it and that'll be enough for us to then fund our next game and and keep a roof over our heads and and keep eating uh if it takes off of course uh, I just want to quickly tell a fun story about Death Squared because that is a fun one. Uh, that's one of my favorites. Again, the local Aussie developed game. Uh, a few years ago, we had a, a trip to like a local sort of beachy area here in Victoria with a, a bunch of uh, friends. Uh, and Death Squared quickly became the 
the game of the the trip uh, and we all just played through it together and, and beat it and then we still had a day or two left and we're like oh what are we gonna what are we gonna do now so we, what we did was we tried to play it again but we had four people controlling facing away from the screen and four people telling them how <laughs> what to do by looking at the screen um and that was a very that didn't work very well but it was funny to, to watch for about an hour as we tried to guide each other um and it makes me think a lot of more again games again asymmetric um keep talking and nobody explodes you know that that kind of game that has evolved from that concept uh, in modern times i mean when i think of co-op gaming thinking about my my uh, growing up childhood um and just the kind of things that are unique to co-op and so like, like things like screen cheating you know that's mm. that's a co-op specific thing um the yelling and the chaos that ensues from that um you get the purists who don't do it who claim they don't do it they're playing the game fair but inevitably everyone does it and so you either have to you know take it on board and accept that is part of the game to screen cheat and and play the game doing that or um or you're probably going to lose i loved it when well, I, I, I sometimes i didn't i was usually player one so i, I did like this um <laughs> when there was three players and it did not split screen evenly so the yeah. first player's split screen was bigger than the other two and so as player one i got to be the bigger screen a lot of the time and it was a better experience for me because you know we didn't have a 60 inch plasma or lcd tv like we do these days it was a much smaller 32 inch um CRT monitor and so there were times when I'm at a massive advantage to my brothers playing games the other one is the bad controller and so you're playing with three four people um, <laughs> yeah. I'm mm. player one again I I, I I get the good one I get the good controller and uh, maybe my youngest brother gets the uh, the really bad third party controller that we've just happened to buy you know it's not the actual Nintendo controller or, or the one with the actual bad A button things like that and so just things like that that you just can't replicate without a co-op experience that uh, you know, I, I, I smile every time I think about because there's it's moments that uh, I can reflect on in the past from it. I have like a red Nintendo 64 controller with probably like 10 switches on it and I don't know what any of them do. Like they're just there. <laughs> they have like words on them that suggest things like turbo, turbo and yeah. like <laughs> ultra and I'm like, but I... I I flicked them on and off as a kid so many times, but zero concept as to what effect they actually had to any of the games. <laughs> well, to finish up here, I think we've had a good, good long chat about, you know, these local co-op fun experiences together, you know, almost like we're playing a co-op game ourselves, except uh, it's a podcast. But yeah, why don't we all just go through one of our favorite games, whether it's a modern one that you could say jump on Steam or or the eShop or something and, and pick it up today, or whether it's something a bit more retro and uh, someone might need to dig it up, or it could be both, because these days a lot of retro games are available, luckily. But yeah, uh, Josh, did you want to kick it off with a, a recommendation or just you know a, a particular highlight of a game for, for you in your mind? Um, I, we've talked a bit about the 64, but I think for me, um, that, that was me getting a bit of a taste for it. So we had um, a bit of a hand-me-down 64 we were late in the 64th life cycle and we got to borrow games but not necessarily own them. So when I was able to buy GameCube with my own money, it, it was the same thing. It was just, except I owned it and we got to buy a lot of these games. And so we got Mario Party 5 and that I've like played hours, hours of um, gameplay with that with my two brothers. And so that was a very special 
and one I have a lot of nostalgia for, just, just playing through that, um, just the pure fun of playing these mini games, competing with, with my brothers, and usually it was another friend we had there as well. So we, a lot of the time we used to do the four-player. That, that and Smash Bros. Melee, and just, you know, it's that simultaneous, everyone in the room, it is, it is a game. Everyone's going to enjoy it as well, and it's a fun time always always occurs. And, and with those little tropes I mentioned earlier, there was always, you know, a bit of controversy, a bit of chaos, a bit of uh, accusations of, of cheating or, um, you know, people get suddenly very competitive with these games. And so brought a new, you know, a different aspect to a lot of people playing it. So um, very fond memories of, of that as, as a kid. I, I agree. I think I think I'm sure Brendan as well. <laughs> we share a lot of those same uh, games with some of our favorites playing uh, locally. Brendan, did you want to want to share one? Sure, to um, repeat Josh in some ways, but to go back to the GameCube, uh, I, it's hard to go by Kirby's Air Ride, particularly City Trial. That was one that me and my friends, we got countless hours out of that game. And that was a game that I, I think I kind of just got on a whim for memory. I, it's very vague as to why I decided to be a Kirby's Air Ride, but I did. And I remember we quickly found out that, well, you didn't really want to play the racing mode. Like... You, you played it occasionally and it was enjoyable, but it was City Trials where it was at. It was, yep. We've talked about it previously on this uh, podcast, I think particularly the GameCube episode we did. It's, it has everything. It has the exploration. It has gaining abilities and stats for the challenges at the end. And it, it, it slightly changes every time you play. So there's that replayability. It, it really has it all. And it's something that has never really been replicated in my mind. So that's one that really stands out for me and I guess part of the memory as to why it stands out is that what was me and three other friends who were all brothers and it, I was during primary school I would see they at least once a week if not more I'd go to their place where they'd come to mine and we'd play GameCube and that was always one that got a lot of play and I think in the end we both owned it so we didn't have to take it with us to each other's places we had our own copies with our own memory cards so we just pretty much unlocked everything in it and that's one that really, when, when I think about local couch multiplayer, that is one that is always there front of mind. You know, that, that is also one of mine as well. Uh, I think, you know, you've all probably listed, like I, whenever we're jumping between friends' houses on the GameCube, uh, those are the games that would follow in either the little wallets that we, we had, or luckily maybe a certain game like Smash Brothers, everybody tended to own. I'm going to continue on the same trend, but it doesn't have to be GameCube because it's a c- series that's pretty pretty broadly uh, accessible across a number of systems. Uh, but it was, again, probably that last key one for me during the GameCube 64 area, and that is Bomberman. Oh. Bomberman is just such a fun, uh, simple, uh, local multiplayer game. Obviously, I think you can do online now with, with Super Bomberman R, and I assume the new one, Bomberman R2, coming out uh, sometime in the next year. And... You know, it doesn't really matter from the multiplayer perspective which one you play. I mean, you look at reviews and some are, you know, 80s, some are, uh, you know, 50s, but that tends to be more on the the uh, the single player and the lack thereof sometimes there is. Uh, but when it comes to the multiplayer, as long as it's got that quintessential multiplayer mode, you're probably in for a good time. Personally, I loved Bomberman Generations on the GameCube because it had some interesting side modes, uh, particularly one where bombs just fall from the sky and all you do is dodge them uh, and it's kind of like last man standing wins we played that a lot uh, as, as kids 
But yeah, I think if you jumped and grabbed Super Bomberman uh, on on any system pretty much that is available these days, or if you have a retro console and you want to get, you know, Bomberman sixty four or Bomberman on the SNES, or you know, again Bomberman Generations on GameCube, if you if that's your your jam, I think you're going to have a good time if you've never tried a Bomberman game and you can get three other friends to to jump in and and play with you. Love Bomberman. Yeah. I remember playing the sixty four version. So uh, yeah, that's. I think one of the only two I played. So, but uh, you have fond memories of that as well, actually. Well, I think yeah, the '64 version is again probably one of the better ones because the maps are just a bit more interesting, right? You're not just on a, a grid; you've got a bit more variety to it, which is uh, which is good. Um, so yeah, the, you know, I think it's one of those series where it's kind of like Mario Kart. You know, you can you can kind of play a, a bit of of one and then play a bit of another, and it's um almost like unlocking dlc in a game it's just new maps and slightly new ways of doing things uh which is very good but again unfortunately not not, not available on switch online yet maybe that'd maybe that'd, one that'd day be a good we'll one see. yeah konami come on yeah. yeah come to the party we'll be waiting a day and an age for konami to do things that are pro gamers that's right yeah, yeah. <laughs> silent hill at oh. least coming that's uh on the way well uh like Bomberman, this has been a blast of a podcast. That's your yeah, quota or one dad joke in episode, Zach. <laughs> yes, yes, one dad joke for, for someone that's not a dad. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's been good. Uh, and again, this has been a very, you know, a lot of the joys of talking to you guys uh, brings back a lot of memories of what it is like mm. being with people <laughs> and having a chat um, and uh, playing games together. So uh, I want to thank you again both. And in particular, though, I want to thank Josh for joining us on this week's episode and for bringing such a fun topic. Thank you so much, Brendan and Zach, for having me. Uh, I had a great time. Yeah, like you said, this is, you know, the, the throwback to us as kids and, uh, what, what the pure like gaming experience was for us growing up. So, and so much love for the GameCube as well. I, I feel like my heart is full after this. This is awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, if you haven't listened to it, our GameCube retrospective episode, it's worth a, it's a good trip down memory lane, just a casual plug there. <laughs> uh, but while we're doing casual plugs, do you want to, you know, tell people where they find you a bit about what your podcast is about, even though we touched on it earlier on and um, all that good stuff? Yeah. So yeah, I'm Josh. I um, host the Nintendo podcast. It's a fortnightly show. It goes all, all over the latest things in Nintendo from uh, news, the latest games coming out. We'll profile them, topics. And then I, I do a little segment at the end called Weird Nintendo. And we just talk about anything bizarre and crazy with Nintendo. I got a recording later today. So the new episode will be out uh, Monday. I'm not sure when this goes out, but um, uh, yeah, talking about uh, NSO's expansion pack 12 months on. Is it uh, any good? We're going to rate that. And then we're doing a little profile on Harvestella this week. So um, yeah, a bit going on. Um, and yeah, give it a listen if you think you're keen. I, I'm definitely keen to hear people's views on Harvestella. Uh, it's one of those like, could be like in my niche and I'll spend like a lot of time with it or it'll, it could just frustrate me. So yeah. I'll be keen to get uh, your thoughts. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, and continuing this uh, train of promotion, uh, Brendan, do you want to give the audience uh, a reminder of where they can interact with us, assuming um, certain social media platforms haven't collapsed by the time this goes up? <laughs> well, as long as uh, Elon doesn't absolutely take Twitter harder than he currently is, uh, you can find us on Twitter at BlowCartPod. You can email us uh, on BlowingCartridge, without, without the S, of course, at gmail.com. We'll never get that S back. Well, we never had the S, so we can't get it back. But 
We'll never get the S anyway. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tamazoid. You can find Zach at Egorino. These will all be in the show notes, of course. And uh, find us on Spotify. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave us a review. Leave us a five-star review. Uh, do it because you want us to get a greater audience. Because if we have a larger audience, maybe I'll be more motivated to edit quicker and uh, get more episodes <laughs> out. But uh, yeah, do that. It's a great way to support our podcast. And uh, I just also want to thank Josh for jumping on and uh, joining us today. And uh, he has some excellent uh, two other cartridges or episode ideas uh, that he brought along as well. So hopefully we can get him back on in the future sometime to discuss those ones, because those will also be equally as enjoyable episodes. So thank you very much, Josh, for coming on. Uh, Thank you. I I would love to do that. I've had a blast. So yeah, it'd be good. Sounds good. And if you wanted to play local multiplayer with any of us, we have uh, left clues just around Australia. If you find them, they will lead you to our houses. So um, good <laughs> oh, luck. No, no, no. To find those clues. That was not for that, Zach. <laughs> that was for a different purpose. Oh, oh okay. Sorry. Sorry. I, I, um, I must have crossed wires. <laughs> I'll, I'll check with you later as to what the purpose of those, um, that random, um, you know, apple I left in uh, the desert was for. I just assumed it was for this, but maybe it's something else. That was to recreate um, golf story. I told you. Okay. Okay. Well, good. Glad we got that cleared up because that could have been <laughs> awkward if uh, someone rocked up at uh, your house uh, <laughs> just asking to play Bomberman uh, next week. <laughs> it's like the um, the famous uh, we ad the we would like to play. Yeah, we they just have this apple in their hand of like we're here to play. Yeah, golf story with you or something. <laughs> Alrighty, well, until next time, everyone take care and happy gaming. Bye for now. See ya.